This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 890, A Conversation with Robert Venditti. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 890. It's a conversation with Robert Venditti. Robert Venditti has been working in comics for a while now. Uh, he's had uh, lengthy runs on Green Lantern, sorry, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Um, he was on Exo Manowar, and most recently he's also been working on Hawkman. Uh, Hawkman recently ended with issue 29, which earlier this year, which was a real shame because it was a real fantastic book. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It originally, or initially started with uh, uh, Brian Hitch on art for the first 12 issues uh, before shifting over to Will Conrad for an issue, then Pat All for a number of issues, and then uh, Fernando Pissarron for the rest of the book. Uh, if you haven't picked it up, it's collected in four separate trade paperbacks, uh, which is actually pretty something. The first two trades cover the first 12 issues, and then the next two trades cover 17 issues amongst them, so those are much meatier trades. Um, but the, this this book is fantastic. It's really enjoyable. Uh, I cannot rec- recommend it enough. I'm not a huge Hawkman fan, but it, it made me a Hawkman fan, because um, it was just uh, a book that felt like you know, creators who were really enjoying what they were doing and putting everything they had into it, and that's what we'll talk about in this conversation um, as we get into, first, how Robert kind of got into comics, uh, which is kind of an interesting perspective as someone who maybe I, I won't spoil it but uh, it's, it's just interesting because it makes every project he works on seems more interesting once you kind of know his backstory in terms of you know when he kind of came to these characters initially um so i really enjoyed this conversation i think you should all pick up hawkman we do spoil a lot of it uh there's a lot of things we do talk about so uh, if you haven't read the hawkman series uh and are planning on it maybe don't re- listen to this uh this podcast until you're done um but uh, if you're not really you know if you're thinking about it, but you're not really on the, you're kind of on the fence. Yeah, if you don't care about spoilers, you should listen because uh, again, he speaks with a lot of passion about these characters and what he was trying to do in the book. We we'll also talk about Superman seventy eight, which is the one of the next books they he'll be working on as well. Um, which, uh, as we record, is actually the day that Richard Donner passed away. Um, so, it kind of, that's uh, obviously a very sad moment. Um, you know, he gave a lot of you know influential movies that really mattered a lot to a lot of people so it's sad to see that he passed away today uh if you want to email me you can do so at comic at gmail.com write the show on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and also listen to us on stitcher thanks again for listening and let's get right into the conversation with none other than robert venditti robert welcome to the comic shenanigans podcast how are you today i'm doing good i appreciate you having me on Absolutely. So I'm really excited to talk to you about Hawkman. It was uh, definitely one of my favorite books DC's put out in quite a while. Um, The entire series really flows together so well, so I'm excited to kind of get into it. But before we do, I guess it would be relevant to ask, what was your kind of interaction with comics when you were younger, and what eventually kind of led you, an abbreviated version, to being a comic book writer? Um, Yeah, so growing up, I did not read comics at all. Uh, I don't know why that was. My I, my older brother did, um, and he always kind of had them and picked them up at the grocery store, spinner rack, and things like that. I never really read them. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. And when I was, you know, many years later in grad school, uh, going to school, getting my master's in creative writing, um, I was working at a Borders Books and Music in Orlando, and there was a guy that worked there that was a really good friend of mine who also really liked comics. 
he just always would tell me about stuff, you know, this story or that story or whatever when you're at work. And finally, one day he told me about the Confessor story arc in Kurt Busiek's Astro City. Mm. Um, and it sounded like a really interesting story. So I went and I read it. And when I read it, um, I decided that, that I wanted to actually write comics, even though I never really read them much or anything like that. I, the idea that I could write something and somebody else could draw it really, really appealed to me. And so I guess I'm trying to think. I don't know exactly how old I was, but it was like my, my mid to late 20s when I read my my first comic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, growing up, I read, you know, Peanuts and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Sunday Funnies and things like that. Um, but I'd never really read comics. Yeah. I'm curious because you came to it again relatively late in terms of like kind of what we would call comics proper. What was it like to kind of learn the language of comics? Because I would imagine, you know, if you're not growing up on it, it might take a little while. Yeah, back then it was a lot different too. You know, like now there's a lot of resources that you can get about writing comics or you could see scripts or, or things like that. Like back then there really wasn't a ton of things like that. I mean, I read, you know, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics and I read. Uh, Will Eisner's graphic storytelling and comics and sequential art. You know, I, I read books like that, sort of about the medium. And I really just kind of sat down and wrote the script for my first book, which was The Surrogates, kind of in a vacuum. I didn't know any artists. I didn't really have any script examples that I could lean on, or I didn't know any pros that were in the business, really, or anything like that. And so um, I just kind of wrote it in a vacuum and just took the principles of storytelling that I had been learning and practicing all throughout my life. You know, I was always writing stories, even in elementary school, but in high school, I took creative writing. I took it in college, you know, I took it in graduate school and just sort of applied those principles uh, to this different format, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously you have success with the surrogate. So I'm curious because you come to it in a different way, in a much later way, and you don't have the kind of inborn nostalgia that many people have with comic books. What what did it mean to you when you start writing for a company like DC? Because again, I would imagine it's different than someone who kind of grew up and was like five years old reading DC comics all the time. So I'm curious what that interaction was like when you kind of make that jump. Yeah, you know, the way I kind of always describe it in this um, becomes particularly important when we're talking about Hawkman. But what I would say is you can't fake stupid, you know? <laughs> so like I had no knowledge of... You know, I mean, I, I have knowledge of, in the sense of general pop culture knowledge, I'd seen, you know, the Superman films, which Richard Donner passed today, which is mm-hmm. terrible. You know, the Superman 78, you know, which is a series I'll be doing for DC soon. But those films are probably some of the most important films I ever watched because I saw them at a young age. And it just really sort of made me such a huge fan of Superman, but also I think the DC universe because it's more of an aspirational universe, you know, Mm -hmm. but aside from general sort of pop culture knowledge, you know, I didn't know anything about any of the characters at DC. So whenever they would call to ask me, you know, do you want to write Green Lantern? And I, I remember my first conversation with the editor and I was like, I'll be upfront with you. I don't know anything about Green Lantern. Uh, I know he's green and apparently there's a lantern, but I'm not sure what it does, (laughs) you know, but if you want me to go read stuff and, and do some research and come up with some ideas, I'd be happy to do it. And uh, I think, you know, I, I can get into that story more when we talk about Hawkman directly, but I think for for better or for worse, you know, I, I go in kind of not knowing any of the continuities and the histories of the characters, and so it's a lot of upfront work that I have to do in terms of research, but also I think that there's no, you know, baggage or preconceptions that I bring with me, and so 
that's the part I mean about you can't fake stupid. Like, I can't. If I had been reading Green Lantern all my life, I couldn't pretend to not have read Green Lantern. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, having that lack of of sort of nostalgic memory of of continuities and histories and all those kinds of things, for better or for worse, makes me different. I think than a lot of other writers who grew up reading those characters. You know. Oh, 100%. That would be a, a very different, as I said, like very different and unique perspective because a lot of people in the, in the industry grew up on the industry and they have this kind of love of it. So you come from it from a definitely a different standpoint, which is, you know, kind of a fresh new eyes on stuff that you know, a lot of us are used to seeing. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious then, I mean, of all the books, how did Hawkman kind of come about? Because that, I mean, that character has in the past had quite a convoluted history. It was definitely like cleaned up when Jeff Johns did it in the early 2000s, but in general has been a very complicated character. And if you're someone who doesn't have preconceived notions, I would imagine that actually maybe is works in your benefit to work on a book like Hawkman. But how do you even do the research? How do you get the pitch? Like, how did this book kind of come about? Yeah, so DC uh, approached me about writing Hawkman, and I was immediately interested because the only thing I knew about Hawkman is that he was the most confusing character in all of comics, you know? <laughs> and that really appealed to me because if if I could come in and come up with a concept that would sort of fix all of that continuity, then that would be an opportunity to leave a stamp on a character which doesn't really happen all that much yet uh, anymore, right? Like every character's had their defining runs of one, if not more. You know, mm-hmm. Mark Wade has Flash, and Jeff Johns has Green Lantern, and you know, on and on and on. So it was an opportunity to work on a character that didn't maybe have that defining run. And then if I could, like I say, if I could come up with something that would fix the continuity, then that would be something that would put a stamp on it. You know, mm-hmm. and so when DC asked me about, it, I was immediately interested. But same as always, I told them I don't know anything about the character. They said that's great. So that first night, I started doing some research, and you know, you look up Hawkman on Wikipedia, and he he doesn't even have one entry. He has more than one entry because <laughs> there's the Carter Hall version has his own entry, and the Katar Hall version has his own entry. And so, my immediate thought as I was reading those things was, oh, I get it. He reincarnates across time and space, and the alien cop version is the same as the Egyptian guy. He's just reincarnating all over the universe. Like, that's cool. And as I kept reading, that was never said. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess that's going to be how I try to unify the continuity then. And again, if I had grown up reading Hawkman all my life, I probably would have had Carter Hall and Katar Holes, you know, so divorced in my own brain mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have made that connection that I came about purely because I had no knowledge of the character, you know? <laughs> Interesting. So, I mean, right from the beginning... How do, how do you end up with Brian Hitch as your initial collaborator on this book? I mean, if you're looking for a way to put a lot more eyeballs on it, having a top flight artist like Brian Hitch obviously helps. But how did you, like, was it something that you kind of were like, you know, I think we should get Brian Hitch for this? Was it something that the editor was pushing forward? How did this kind of come about? Yeah, I would never uh, even think that to say, I, you know, get me Brian Hitch, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, I had met Brian before at, you know, DC retreats and things, and, you know, he's obviously he's a great artist and we all know that but he's also tremendous with story and character and and high concepts and ideas you know and I I knew him to be a great guy from having talked with him you know at those retreats but it's usually editorial who goes to artists and asks if they'd be interested I think Brian had a couple of things that he was looking at doing at the moment but when he kind of saw my initial concept you know he reincarnates across time and space and 
you know, uh, we're going to try to unify the continuity and here's the concept and the way we're going to do it. But beyond that, we're not just saying that he was a Thanagarian and he was a human. Because we're saying he reincarnates across time and space, he could be anything. He could have been a new god. You know, he could have been a Ranian. Um, you know, Brian Hitch immediately understood all of that. And he was like, yeah, he could have been a Kryptonian, you know. And so we just started really talking to each other and really expanding on those ideas. And it was a great creative relationship working on the book, you know, a, a true collaboration and partnership and, uh, you know, we developed what, what you see in that first 12 issues of the series you know, we developed all that stuff together. Now, when you're working with Brian, I mean, obviously, I'm like your full script, but how how loose were you with it because you guys were kind of working in, in an open collaboration? And was that something that you kind of pushed for to kind of be more open and collaborative? Like, I don't know what your previous relationships have been like working on your other books, but, you know, c- coming into this and knowing that Brian was kind of really getting your pitch, did it allow you to be more collaborative as opposed to kind of being more, you know, on the page? Uh, actually, I was not full script. You know, oh, okay. uh, I asked Brian what he would like to do in terms of script, and he wanted, you know, plot first. Uh, he, he liked the idea of working plot first and sort of giving us an idea of what the dialogue was, you know. Mm-hmm. And in those early scripts, you know, my plots would probably be, you know, 12 pages, so pretty tightly plotted, you know. As we worked on more and more, my plots would be, you know, much less <laughs> because he's such a – He's so good at what he does, and he's such a tremendous storyteller. And I really felt like he and I were just kind of in sync. We were both thinking about everything exactly the same, and even though we had never worked before, it was almost like we had an immediate shorthand with each other that if I said one thing, he knew what I meant, and if he said one thing, I knew what he meant, and we didn't really have to go into a ton of detail on it. you know. And uh, working with him, you just have... 100% 100% confidence that no matter what the idea is that you come up with for the story or, you know, what the location is or how many characters are involved or whatever, he is going to not just be able to tackle it, but he's going to elevate it so much beyond even what you thought, you know. And, and we really wanted to do an Indiana Jones style of, of story take that approach and, and put it put a superhero into that context and in that first year i mean we just go from place to place you know in the first six issues you know we we start off in you know ancient gorilla city ruins <laughs> and we go to london and we go to egypt and we go i mean we go to ancient egypt we go to dinosaur island uh we go to thanagar we go to the macro the microverse you know like we just go all over these places Every single issue, we wanted the character to be in a different spot, have a different adventure, learn something, and then go on to that next adventure, just like kind of Indiana Jones when he's following, you know, the little red dot in the line across <laughs> place to place on the map, you know. And every single issue, Brian would create an entire different visual language for a culture and, um, you know, a style of story and, and all these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, it's just <laughs> it's amazing to work with somebody like that. Uh, and, and he just was really excited about it as well. He has such a deep love, you know, and, and affection for these characters that he's been reading, mm-hmm. you know, these DC characters his whole life. And I don't know, it just, I think the energy and the excitement and the joy just really came across for both of us in the story that we put on the page. For sure. Now, I'm curious because, again, as you said, kind of being someone who's 
lighter in general in DC continuity, but obviously, you know, you've obviously had to get really up to speed in a lot of things. When you're developing, especially in that first year, you know, all the, as you said, all the different locations, uh, what was it like to kind of do the research process to find different locations to kind of put Hawkman in? And how much of that was also springboarding with Brian or with your editor? Well, we knew that, you know, we were going to unify the concept of the characters. So there were certain places that we knew right off the bat we were going to go. You know, we were going to go to ancient Egypt so we could check in with the Prince Khufu version of the character. We knew we were going to go to Kato- to Thanagar so we could check in with the Tim Truman Hawkworld version of the character. So a lot of that stuff was drawing on, you know, the past already. But the other locations that we chose were because of elements that we wanted to have in the story. We thought that London would be fun, not just because Brian is <laughs> is from England, but also it would be a chance to bring in Madame Xanadu. And this is a character that I don't know has ever been associated with Carter Hall before, but it makes perfect sense that they would be, you know, because both these immortal characters that have a sense of history and and cultures and, and things like that. Um, we wanted to bring Ray Palmer into the series and have that friendship on the page. And so going to the microverse, you know, was a natural place for us to go. And so um, it was kind of, you know, looking at it and saying, what do we need to do in order to unify this character's continuity? What places do we need to go? Mm-hmm. But also where can we go to add this character's supporting cast and have it not just be this one character that we're following throughout the book? You know, because we weren't able to use ever during Brian's run but not until the very you know probably last third of the series were we able to use Hawkwoman she was a character that was being used in other places in the DCU and she was off limits to us so really for us to uh, be able to have people for, for Carter to talk to and and sort of express his emotions and understand where he's at in his headspace we had to bring in these other characters from his past and, and create some new ones as well you know I actually have to say that, I mean, I obviously noticed the, the lack of Hawkwoman, but I actually kind of appreciated it because it did feel like he gave Carter more time to kind of breathe on his own and kind of deal with his own thing before you kind of brought her inevitably into it. So when it happens, it feels more by design and not because there was an editorial kind of fiat that you couldn't use her yet. Yeah, I mean, when you see towards the end of the series uh, when Fernando Passerine was on the book and Hawkwoman finally gets introduced and what we did and how we tied her backstory and with Hawkman's backstory, that was all stuff that was in my original pitch and was meant to have started with issue one. Oh, really? Yeah, we would have developed all those things and they would have discovered their histories together at the same moment in time. We just weren't able to use that character until a much later point in the story. And I got flack for that. You know, people, you know, sort of came after me on social media about I must not like female characters and all these kinds of things. And I, I don't think they understand sometimes... You know, I would say there's a plan for her, and they would just be like, "Sure, you're just saying that. You don't, you know, you don't mean that, whatever." And you know, I mean, I get fandom, and, and it is what it is. But I don't, I don't think they understand sometimes that I don't own Hawkman and Hawkwoman. I don't, <laughs> I don't determine where they fit into the publishing schedule. You know, um, but I, I think that by the end of the series, uh, they could see that there was definitely a plan that we had for that for that character all along. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, you know, that first year when you when you do initially bring in the Atom, um, I mean, Brian's depiction of him is wonderful, but I, I liked how warm you made the relationship between them, which is what it should be, but it just felt very warm and lived in, so that even if you didn't really know these characters, you could feel their affection on the page, and particularly I always thought that the, uh, the colors by uh, Jeremiah Shipper, uh, especially on the Adam's costume, were fantastic, because he really... 
like the the book i mean obviously you have a character who's super heroic but also he's dealing with other things so at times the colors didn't feel like your typical superhero book and then you bring in the atom a character who most definitely is more of a superhero you know science superhero and it, the colors that were used to really bring him to life were really something and they really popped off the page yeah i, I you know there's a lot of things about the series i'm really proud of but that two part with the atom and the microverse is, is one of the high points for me because it was when Brian and I really just started gelling together. You know, we, we'd had a few issues under our belt and like we really were just, you know, having the most fun we could possibly have. And, and, uh, I knew that I wanted to get him to draw a giant character because he does such, you know, anybody who's read Ultimates, things like that, you, you mm-hmm. can see how, how effective he is with a giant character. And to go back to something that you asked earlier, once I did get the Hawkman job, Hawkman is one of those characters that you can pretty much read every single issue of Hawkman, you know, mm. like some of it, you know, Superman, even Green Lantern, it's too cumbersome. You would, you would have to read thousands of comics or whatever. Hawkman, there's only about 300 comics you had to read. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of them I was able to go get, you know, it was the one time I've really been long box diving, trying to build runs and put things together and, and all that. And so, you know, I'd read the Silver Age thing and the Hawkman and the Adam friendship was, you know, sort of established in the Silver Age. And it was always, you know, Hawkman was the big guy and, Adam was the little guy, you know, and all those great covers that they had in the Hawkman and Adam run where Hawkman shooting Adam out of a slingshot or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> I really wanted to do something that would inverse that. And the Adam could be the big guy and Hawkman would be the little guy. And, and that's when I came up with the idea that in the microverse, he wouldn't become a giant. He would just unshrink himself just enough to make it look like he's a giant, you know? And, um, you know, that spread where you know he reveals himself for the first time as a giant hawkman's the little tiny one uh <laughs> it, it, brian just absolutely killed it you know the angle he took to do it and everything um some of my most most favorite uh issues i've ever written in my career were those two issues this is a kind of a macro question of this run did do you have do you own any of the original art from it i do i, I own a few pages uh, framed on my wall i'm looking at it right now is the double page spread from issue 10 when Carter Hall finally realizes he can summon all of the past lives to himself Mm. and you kind of see all the lives you know the ones that we developed in the series I mean the ones that are already there you know Tim Truman's you know Katar Hole and Prince Khufu and and things like that but then also the ones that we created Katar Hole the Thanagarian and uh, Katarthal the Ranian and Goldhawk and you know uh, Red Harrier and like all these all these characters you know and that was kind of our idea in the beginning that Hawkman sort of already set up for this great uh, you know series concept if you're going to do an ongoing thing that whenever you need a fill in issue you can just pull out a past life you know what I mean <laughs> and so we did that three times I think throughout the series mm-hmm. and when we in the first issue sort of showed him tumbling through his histories and revealed a bunch of these characters for the first time and that was the first time you saw the Thanagarian version and all that kind of stuff we kind of had this idea that you could make a story about every single one of these you know we knew who some of them were already when we drew that but other ones were just Brian just drawing and then later on in the series when I needed one I'd go pick one out of the background and be like that one and I'd make a whole story about him you know <laughs> so um, you know it, it, uh, it, was, it was great fun to do those things 
So this is a, a kind of a two-part question, but one would be, you know, wh which of these kind of variant versions of Carter Hall did you enjoy the most kind of seeing brought to life? And also, which one do you think was had the, the best fan reaction? Oh, gosh. Uh, That's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kate Roll probably is my favorite because Superman has always been my favorite superhero, and the idea that we were able to create a Hawkman for Krypton you know, and the cover that Brian drew of of Kate Tarol on Krypton opening his shirt and it's got the hawk symbol under it, you know, it's just I don't know, I'll always <laughs> I'll always love that. Um, but you know, I really am proud of the issue that we did, which was completely coincidental. I think it was issue twenty three where we had uh uh we showed a past life of, of Hawkman as a plague doctor, uh, mm. in Spain, you know, and um you know, and I don't know. I just, I, there's so much of it that I liked, uh, and I wish I could have done more, spent more time with, you know, but uh, it is what it is. So, I mean, I, I can jump forward to this, but, I mean, when did you know or how early did you know that the book was going to be ending and how much kind of – did you did they give you kind of enough runway to feel like you were able to land the ship? Because it did feel like you had – like you kind of ended the way – it needed to end, but I also there could have been more stories, but obviously, but that, like, how what was that conversation like when it was coming to an end? It ended and unended a few times. Um, you know, it, it, there was a couple of times that they were going to end it, and then they kept it going. Um, but I always knew what the ending, what I wanted it to be. I always knew that I wanted him to reunite with the JSA uh, and the, end up in the future, and you see them, Hawkman and Hawkwoman, as they're very old, you know. Um, I always knew that would be the ending, and it's kind of, kind of the way I do things. Like I know how a series is going to end, and then however many issues it takes to get there, it gets there. You mm -hmm. know, um, I think ideally I would have liked for the issue to go for the series to go like thirty six or forty. You know, mm -hmm. but it pretty much ended uh, the way I wanted it to end. I just would have liked a little more time to get there. You know, there's some story ideas, and some concepts that uh, we never got to introduce. Um, you know, we, we had to do the infection story as, as part of Year of the Villain and those kinds of things, and that kind of took us off track a little bit. And then, uh, you know, we there were other things that we wanted to do uh, that we weren't able to. But 29 issues is a pretty long time for a Hawkman series, yeah. uh, particularly in the modern market and in the middle of a global pandemic, you know what I mean? So mm. um, I, don't, I don't have any... Uh, bad feelings about it you know so what is it like to i mean so again as you said like there's a lot of kind of challenges just in general that kind of occurred you navigate through like a, a line-wide kind of crossover and having to deal with you know how is your book and interact with that so what was what was that like to kind of navigate that because you have a character who's kind of doing their own insular adventure and suddenly you know you have to kind of connect it to something else that's happening in dc so what was that conversation like and what kind of narrative challenges did that present to you yeah, I mean, every every artist and writer, they, they all have holes in their game, right? There's things that they don't do that well. But I think that something that I do do very well is that I'm a really good puzzle piece writer. Mm -hmm. and that's what I call it. And by that, I mean that you can dump pretty much any puzzle on my desk and I'll be able to figure out a way to make some sense of it, you know? Um, so the infection story was nothing that we had planned for. We didn't have a ton of notice about it. But... And I had never thought of a evil Hawkman, you know, from uh, Earth 3, 
<laughs> you know, until they told me that he was going to have to get infected. And I was like, well, what can I do with this character that will tie this infection storyline into it and it will feel organic. It will feel like it's part of everything else we've been doing in the series, you know, sort of methodically revealing past lives and him trying to earn off this debt of, of death that he had caused in his first life. And he's, you know, he has to reincarnate until he does. And he's trying to pay off that debt. And so what can we do to tie all that together? And that was when I came up for the idea with, uh, to use a past life of his as the Hawkman of Earth 3. And, you know, once he's, you know, sort of infected, he, he, that version of himself comes to the forefront and the version we've been following out through the series becomes kind of a voice in the back of that evil version's head. And now it's just push and pull between the evil version trying to cause more death and extend the reincarnation cycle while Carter Hall is trying to end the death and end the reincarnation cycle, you know. And so I think if you read the series and certainly the reaction of the fans and of a lot of people that I heard talk about it, um, they knew because, because of course everybody knows that the infection storyline is, is a tie in that nobody knew about when the series launched. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, we were able to make it feel like it was a completely organic, natural part of the series rather than some, you know, huge detour. Yeah, it, uh, you know, it's interesting that you call yourself the kind of the, the puzzle piece because you know it, it that's it does feel like it, it's seamless. Like it, you have that you know the the story with the shadow thief, and then you immediately you know break into the infection, and it feels natural. And then you use the infection to bring in. I guess you finally got access to Hawkwoman, so then you bring her in as well, and that again feels like a natural point to kind of bring her in because that's a, a good high stakes moment when she's finally there. But Carter's not even possession of his own body, so it feels like there's a lot of great drama and great stakes there. So. If it wasn't originally planned, it definitely ends up feeling, as you said, kind of relatively seamless, regardless. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's what we were going for, you know. And, and I'd had this idea of a past life, if we ever get to do it, where he is a plague doctor, you know, and during the Black Plague in Spain. And so now that we're doing an infection story, this seems like a natural way to use that story. You know what I'm saying? So mm. I don't know. It's just like I say, it's like a bunch of puzzle pieces. And you just got to find a way to fit them all together. How much fun was it to write kind of an evil version of Hawkman after you, you know, you get into the head of all the different Carter Halls and they're all, you know, not that dissimilar from each other. And then you have the one who's like, obviously the, the, the exact opposite, the evil version. Was that fun to kind of write him and in his interplay with the regular Carter Hall? Yeah, it was a nice change. It's nothing that I would want to do for a long time. I, I don't, you know, I'm not the kind of writer I think they would want to write uh, a villain series. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Uh I like writing villains as part of a hero series, but I know that I'd want to do like an ongoing villain series or something. Uh, so it was fun. It's a nice change of pace. We had some fun with it. And he was such a jerk, you know, the Hawkman anniversary <laughs> was such a jerk. And so it was, it was fun to sort of, uh, you know, mess with him and, and, and do some fun stuff. And it gave us a reason to bring Ray Palmer back into the series and to finally bring in Adam Strange, which was something that I had wanted to do from the beginning. And as you said, Hawkwoman. So we were really able to bring in a supporting cast. And along the way, keep that adventure aspect of the series going. You know, he goes to another planet and he invites, he, you know, he finds out about Titan Hawk or mm -hmm. it was in that that we find out about, you know, Katarsal the Ranian and we get a little scene with him. You know what I mean? So we were... We were able to still keep it going, all of the things that we were doing in the series up to that point. Uh, it was just for that, you know, whatever number of issues that was, uh, Hawkman was a villain and not a hero. Mm -hmm. you know? 
one thing I really appreciated about your book as well, especially considering how it ends, is that you you don't go kind of the, what I would say the more typical route, which is you have this big kind of mega story and you end it. And then there's a few issues after that, which are wonderful. And they're much more character centric as opposed to kind of the big giant plot. And I think, you know, some writers would kind of end with the big giant plot as being their big climax of their of their run. But I like that yours kind of dealt with the big climax that we've kind of been building to since the beginning. And then we have this quieter, more character centric kind of pushing the character into the, into the new direction. And it kind of makes it feel make the book feel very timeless at the end because, you know, anyone could do any version of kind of Carter they want to do afterwards. But yours, you know, we already kind of have a nice end point uh, and all these adventures and this kind of this nice sense of kind of tying things off. Yeah, I think our hope would be that anybody could come along and we've now sort of set up Carter Hall as, as, as we call him in the series. He's the living historical document of the DC universe. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been everywhere. He's lived everywhere. He's seen everything. And so we really set the character up as someone who could take part in virtually any story that anybody wants to tell in the DC universe. <laughs> Carter Hall could be there playing a central role, you know. So our hope would be that whoever the next writers of Hawkman are, whenever that happens, that they come along and pull on some of those threads that we did and really kind of make use of, you know, so much of what we did was built on what others did. Tim Truman, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Kubert, you know, Gardner Fox, right? Jeff Johns, so much of it is built on what others did. What I always want to try to do as a writer, I'm picking up toys that other people put in the toy box and playing with them. I want to play with those toys, but I also want to leave more toys in the toy box for the next person too, right? Mm-hmm. So our hope would be that whenever those people come along and do the next chapter in the Hawkman story or the Hawkwoman story, that they pull on some of those threads and keep those things going forward. Mm-hmm. I like the narrative symmetry that, as you said, like the end of the first year, you have Hawkman able to kind of defeat the enemy by calling on all his kind of past lives. And we get that scene again with, with him and, uh, and Hawkwoman uh, when they're up against, I guess, the godlike character. Was that always kind of in the plan that you would have that kind of symmetry? Yeah, I don't know if I knew every single detail of it, but I definitely had ideas for the broad strokes of how those things would play out. But you never know if you're going to get there. They could cancel this thing at 12. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So you yeah. never know. But it's always sitting there in the back of your head um, that these are the kind of things that we can do. And, and again, I don't sit down and, and figure out every single detail because I don't know if they're going to happen or if the series is going to keep going. And so <laughs> I'm not going to waste all that development time, you know. Um, but it is something that's there and you kind of know it in the broad strokes. And if the opportunity comes up, then I'll start building it out and, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out a way to make it all fit. Given how you started with the surrogates and then working in, in kind of company-owned DC, like in comics at DC, I'm curious how like how do you find you've had to adapt your writing style to maybe be a little looser so that you can you know, kind of adapt to things that come up um, that, you know, you're living within a universe and there's going to be publishing demands, there's going to be things that just need to happen and you have to kind of ride that wave. What has that been like as, as a writer to have to experience in that because you know you might have a general sense of where you want your vision to go but as you said you might end up with some you know weird kind of uh you know pivots in other directions they might end up working out like they did with the you know the hawkman of earth three but you know you don't you can't plan for this type of stuff so do you like that challenge of being able to have to kind of adapt and kind of surf the waves or do you kind of miss that autonomy yeah no it's definitely something i did intentionally you know and uh it's two kinds of creativity you know, if you're doing something like the surrogates, you're creating that universe and that story and those characters and 
they didn't exist before this story so you can you have pretty much total freedom you can do whatever you want that's one kind of creativity it's another kind of creativity entirely to be put in a box and have to figure your way out of that box mm-hmm. right because a story idea would never have existed without the box to begin with mm. and so the continuities of characters the idea of being in a shared universe crossover events you know all these kinds of things these are all part of that box that you have to write your way around and i find it enjoyable to do both those kinds of creativity you know something like the surrogate to like the things i'm doing over a bad idea right now that stuff is all very free and i'm sort of we're all building it from the ground up and we can do kind of whatever we want but i also enjoy writing superman 78 and having to deal with not just superman but the very specific you know richard donover richard donner Christopher Reeve version of Superman and who that version of Lex Luthor is and that version of Lois Lane and all those kinds of things so um, I think it's nice to be able to flex both kinds of muscles you know uh, rather than just do one or the other for sure now what what was it like for you I mean you, you have this amazing first year with Brian Hitch and you guys, you know, as you said, kind of developed the shorthand together. Uh, you have a really good, you know, sense of teamwork and collaboration. So, what was that? What was that like to kind of lose him as your collaborator? Not, not to say that you don't have amazing collaborators after him, but you do lose that kind of that big piece of that first year. What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have kept working with him forever. He's one of the geniuses of our medium, you know. And so, um, but obviously, you just don't get to stay with artists for that long i mean 12 issues was a long time you know he and he could have left after six but he wanted to stay and do 12 and i think another thing that i'll i'll say that i probably should have mentioned earlier but in addition to him being so good at what he does he's also extremely fast Hmm. he drew every single page of the entire first 12 issues and he inked a vast majority of them as well like i want to say it's issue six he was taking a vacation with his family and i think it's the the second the, the, the second part of the uh, microverse two part with Ray Palmer mm. he drew that entire issue and inked the entire thing himself in three weeks oh wow so he drew a monthly book which started out at 22 pages and then moved to 20 and drew and this, these are not easy stories no. <laughs> right <laughs> like he, we're in ancient Egypt and he's drawing all the hieroglyphics and we're in Thanagar and he's drawing all the floating cities and like it, all this detail that he's putting in every issue is a different different location with its own visual language and its own culture and all these kinds of things he drew every single issue every single page 12 issues in a row not one break wow (laughs) like that's amazing i don't know how many artists can do that you know do do you think your approach to the book in terms of like you said with the first year kind of um you know location hopping and really kind of you know having a fast pace do you think it would have been the same if you hadn't had brian to start with because he was so invested and really kind of throwing everything he had into it Oh, it would be a completely different book. Yeah, uh, I don't think it would have been executed. It just really felt like those those first twelve issues with him and I. I mean, I'm not speaking for him. From my point of view, I mean, you'd have to ask him what he thought about it. But from my point of view, it really was just a perfect situation. You know what I mean? It was. It, it was you know the the Celtics or the Lakers or you know or the Bulls or whatever you know what I'm saying it was just like everything clicked and everything fell into place and uh, you know we both were enjoying it we were both energized by it we wanted to sit down and we wanted to do it you know we were feeding off at least I was feeding a lot off of the reaction to it because it was scary when that first issue came out you know we were going to try to fix the entire continuity of this character in one double page spread with two words 
and space. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but those two words, people were either going to be like, this is super cool, they figured it out, or they're going to be like, screw this guy, this stuff's terrible. You know what I mean? <laughs> so all your eggs are sort of invested in that one basket. And once we did that in the first issue, the general reaction overwhelmingly was, I can't believe these two guys just fixed Hawkman in two pages. You know, <laughs> People have been trying to figure this guy out since the Silver Age to make sense of it, right? And these guys did it with two pages. And so once we saw that reaction and we could see the people were into it and what we were doing, it just really energized me and made me want to sit down and write Hawkman. Like I could not wait to write the next issue, you know, and, and uh, to just keep that story going forward because I knew all these things that we had coming down the track, you know, like the visit to Krypton and, you know, the big issue seven where we were going to reveal that history of him and what his first, you know, real first life was, you know. And so – all those things were just, you know, the energy was there. And I, just, I can't imagine, you know, you never know, but I can't imagine there being a situation. It just felt so perfect. I don't know how it would have worked out otherwise. Yeah. They mentioned at the beginning that you guys had worked, you know, because he had basically said, let's, let's do a plot first. And that your, your plots were relatively detailed at the beginning. By the time you get to issue 11 and 12, had you kind of throttled back because you knew that you didn't need to give him as much direction? Yeah, even sooner than that. Yeah, even sooner than that, I was throttling back because um, I knew I didn't need to give him that much direction. And it was clear that we both understood the tone of the series. We both understood, you know, the the high concept of the series, you know, so you don't need to keep saying the same things over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times when I'm writing full script, I will say the same things over and over again every issue because I don't know – even when I do know who the artist is that's going to draw that issue, it's it's not uncommon that that artist will need a break and another artist will come in. So it's easier to just have all the information already there waiting for the other artist. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Whoever that artist may be. But with these plots, once I was able to see Brian's pace and how fast he was able to move and how committed he was and how excited he was about it, I really didn't feel like there was a risk of him not doing one of the issues. And mm-hmm. so there was no need to reiterate stuff that that he already knew you know what i'm trying to say we were we already had that language with each other and we were able to just work and do the stories mm-hmm. now how early did you know that he'd be he would be leaving after issue 12 i can't remember um but it was a pretty good time before that you know mm-hmm. um i want to say that dc was trying to pull him off after issue six and put him somewhere else but he wanted to stay on Hawkman, even though, you know, Brian can draw whatever he wants. He's one of the most sought after talents in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wanted to stay with Hawkman and finish out that first year story. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. But I suspect for the same reasons that I liked being on the, you know, not only was it fun and it was energizing to be able to do what we were doing, but we were putting a stamp on this character that had never been put on it before. And again, it's it's not. There are so these characters have been around so long, so long. They've all had defining runs, you know. And we we kind of got the sense that maybe we were putting one together here. And mm-hmm. I think he wanted to stay around and see that first year come to its conclusion, so that he would have drawn the entirety of that, you know. So when he leaves, and so again, you 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 guys had a you know a pretty good comfortable uh, plot kind of develop, um, collaboration. How did you adapt for when first you have Will Conrad and then you have Pat Olive for you know, a sustained run of issues? Did you adapt it back into kind of being more script forward or how did you change your process? Yeah, I changed to full script because at that point I wasn't sure 
entirely at the time that I was writing the scripts who the artists were going to be. Mm. You know, I try to stay at least four months ahead so that, you know, I, I would say that as the writer, I'm not the most important part of a comic book. That's the artist. That's the art, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I am the beginning of the train. So nobody else can do their job until I've done mine. Mm. And I never want anybody waiting on me because if you're waiting on me for script, that's a day that an artist didn't draw and an anchor didn't ink and a colorist didn't color that they will never get back. That's just a wasted day of productivity for them and they've lost that income forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want anybody doing that to me. So I try to stay, you know, four months ahead of my artists um, so that there's always script waiting for them and they know that they're always going to have that stuff there. But also, if I need to take a vacation or there's some sort of family emergency that I have to deal with or whatever, I can do that and I can know that I have enough scripts banked that the artist has got plenty to draw and, you know, we'll, we'll be fine, you know? Mm-hmm. So after 12, because of the production schedule, I was working ahead before I knew who the artists were, you know? I didn't, I think I wrote all of 13 before I knew it was Will Conrad. I wrote all of 14 before I knew it was going to be Pat Leaf. So, you know, I, I moved to full script because you don't know who the artist is on the other end. You know? For sure. Yeah. And so, what I mean, obviously with Conrad, it was just the kind of the one issue, but with Olaf, it was a number of issues. Did you got? I mean, did you, were you able to start kind of feeling like there was more of a collaboration there or did it feel a little bit, and I don't mean this in any way to feel, be rude, but like, did it feel more kind of, you know, I'm putting the full script and then he'll, he'll come in and do the art and there was less of a collaboration just because it was a bit more of a, like, did, it, did the book feel like it, it was that Olaf is going to be the new main artist, or did it feel like this is going to be for the next little while? We're going to find a regular artist still. Like, what was the feeling? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't honestly recall. I know that it was that was all during the you know the the double sort of back to back tie-ins that we had to do. The first one was Year of the Villain, and the second one was The Infection. You know, mm-hmm. so there was a lot that was going through editorial at that point too. You know. Um, so uh, that was another reason why I had to be far ahead on scripts because things had to get approved because they're part of this larger machinery and all these kinds of things. Um, so it's just a different time, you know. Everything about the book was different. For I'm trying to remember how many issues Pat drew, I think he drew eight, think four or five, or maybe more than that. No, I think he drew eight. Oh wow! Um, he drew all. He drew fourteen. Am I drawn seven? Um, so yeah, that whole time was very much wrapped up in, you know, sort of the larger publishing plan and, uh, the interconnectivity of the storyline across the DCU, which is all, again, you know, working in a shared universe, those things are going to happen. It's not bad. It's just, that's the reality of it. And <laughs> that's the box that, that leads to the creativity and, and all those kinds of things that we already talked about. So, um, it was different, but yeah, it, it wasn't as much of a, sort of a freewheeling collaboration because it's only 12 issues with Brian and I we kind of were off on our own doing our own thing and we just kind of got to do what we wanted you know mm-hmm. So I'm curious just to, I, I, and this is, I, I always ask a lot of kind of behind the scenes questions because they do fascinate me. I'm curious what it was like in the first year you basically have, you know, two editors and then the book does kind of move around after that. So what was that like for you as the writer when you have kind of the editor keeps shifting and changing? Yeah, I mean, I love putting down roots and having relationships with people. And, you know, the original editor on the series, who was Andrew Marino, he's the editor of Superman 78. He was the editor of How During the Green Lantern Corps. So I've worked with him plenty, you know. Um, 
so it is different. You know, editors have different things they like. But when Andrea Shea joined the book, um, which I want to say is she 20 or 21, I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, she and I had a great, as far as I know, <laughs> we had a great working relationship. And she was, you know, super smart to work with, great with notes, uh, really kind of rebuilt the book, you know, went out and got Fernando Passerine and got Jeremy Cox on colors and, you know, really kind of rebuilt a creative team and, and put us through that last year of the series. It was such a crucial part. Like those first 12 issues were sort of act one and without that act three where Hawkman and Hawkwoman do earn out that debt and, and do stop the reincarnation cycle and then being able to bring in the JSA and all those kinds of things. You know, I had an enormously fun time working with her on, you know, that last year or so of the series and, uh, that was the first time that I had ever worked with her, mm. but I certainly would like to work with her again. You know. So I want to ask, obviously, what was it like working with Fernando? Because again, now you have a regular artist. He's on again a, another duration. Were you able to kind of start? I mean, it's obviously a different experience because with Brian, you guys were starting something from the beginning and able to kind of build up. And this, obviously, you'd already been through these kind of moments where it felt like the book might be ending. So it might have felt like, who knows how long we've got. It's obviously a very different feeling than when you're starting. So what was the collaboration like with Fernando, given all of that? Fernando is an absolute dream. Uh, I worked with him, I think it was one issue of Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, where he came in in the middle of like a nine-part story, you know, that was leading up to the end of the series and uh, did a phenomenal job. And I'd just been dying to work with him again ever since. And I felt like he would be a great artist for Hawkman because he has a very muscular style you know mm-hmm. and he also does a lot of he has a lot of detail on his art and he he does a lot of you know little tiny character on a vast landscape you know kind of the way hitch does um so he was someone that i was really excited to have join the series and he's he is like brian in the sense that he's very fast but he also there's nothing he can't draw like we i threw some crazy things at him <laughs> you know and and in that last year of the series, he executed it all so well. Um, I, he's somebody I hope I get to work with again. You know, I, I had such a great time working with him and the collaboration. He always elevates, you know, whatever I write, he elevates it, you know, and in the same way that Brian did. And, um, you know, I, I, I really do miss working with him and I hope I get the chance to do so again. Now, near the, as, as, as I was mentioning earlier, when you have you know, the last few issues which are very different in terms of tone because you have, you know, the characters have kind of gone through the the big change and now they've, um, you know, they're, they end up with the JSA again. First of all, when you end that issue and they turn around and the JSA is there, first of all, I mean, you must have known the fan reaction was going to go kind of crazy to see this classic JSA, but what did that mean to you? Because, again, kind of a newer, you know, you may not have had the same nostalgic feel for these characters, but what did it mean to you to bring the Hawks back to the JSA? Yeah, I... I've been wanting to write the JSA pretty much since my first the first time I knew who they were <laughs> you know what I mean I've been dying for years to do that and I can't believe still that DC allowed it to happen uh, I almost feel like there was so much going on in the world and so much going on at DC at the, that point in time that they just were like ah whatever you know what I mean because <laughs> it was so hard to get able to be able to use the JSA and um, I mean I was just so excited and in a in a dream in a perfect world uh fernando and i would have been able to launch a jsa series out of that because i already knew how that series would go down you know and how hawkman could set up a jsa series 
Obviously, that didn't happen, but uh, it was, I mean, you know, come on. Jake Garrick, Alan Scott, you know, I mean, this, this stuff, Sandman, Wesley Dodd, Sandman. I mean, I, I've been dying to write these characters. And so just the pulp nature of them and the history of them and what they mean, not just to the DCU, but to the entire comic book medium, you know, to be able to, to play with those characters, even for just, you know, essentially one issue <laughs> uh, uh, was just just a gift and uh i'd love to be able to do it again what was the uh the fan reaction that you got after that issue came out with again them showing up at the end there people were yeah they were very excited very very excited yeah and fernando did such a great job um with the you know there's the teaser at the end when you see them and we know the next issue they're going to be hanging out with the jsa but then that jsa issue fernando did such an amazing job team books are so hard you know how do you how do you give everybody a great moment in a 20 page comic when you're dealing with six characters, you know, plus a villain or whatever, you know? And so, um, we, I feel like we did that. And, and so much of that was Fernando's art and being able to really capture these beats. And even though the issue was divided up among this large cast, each, each character had this big moment, you know, and such a very small amount of page space. And so, um, Wouldn't yeah, fans, fans, as far as I know, uh, really enjoyed it you know love seeing those characters and uh you know we, we were happy to give it to them i mean i think i guess why it works out so well is that it feels very classic you know and it feels very uh reverential like not reverential maybe but you know very respectful right of who these characters are and what they can and should be and so it felt very like this is the idealized version of what the jsa should always be um and then when, when you're writing those characters as you said they, they always kind of get their own particular beat which one did you find was the most fun and that you would have been most most excited about writing in a JSA ongoing if you were ever given the chance? Wesley Dodds. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's just so cool. He's just got sleep gas. <laughs> but his, <laughs> his, like, design and the mask and everything, he's so cool. He really taps into, like, this sort of pulp nature that, you know, when I was younger and listening to my grandfather tell stories about listening to the shadow on the radio and things like that. You know what I mean? Like Wesley Dodds really captures that in a way that, you know, Jay Garrick is super cool, but he's, he's a flash and I'd written flash before. And Alan Scott is like amazing, but he's a green lantern and I'd written green lantern before Wesley Dodds had never done a character like that. You know mm. what I'm saying? And so it was very exciting, uh, very enjoyable to write something that, that I hadn't done before. Um, and I, I mean, I, I have a whole idea for a Wesley Dodd series that I would do if anybody ever asked me. So uh, I would love to write that character again. With, with that last arc, did you, did you feel when you did it that you would have wanted more more page space to kind of have a more of an exploration into Carter now having a, more of a fear of death and fear of dying after all these years of being you know being able to reincarnate? Because I mean, obviously, you don't have a lot of space at, at the end there, um, but it felt like something that. You know, if you had had more space, you might have been able to kind of get more mileage out of it because it was such a great beat um, for a character who has always known he was going to reincarnate to suddenly lose that. Yeah, it was, it, you know, the the concept of the series was going to be three acts. You know, act one was going to be sort of that first 12 issues uh, resolving the continuity. Act two was going to be an adventure in the middle that was going to be something different but ended up being you're the villain and, and the infection storyline. And act three was going to be he's paid off that debt what is that life now? What is that like now? You know, so like I was saying earlier, ideally it would have been like a 36 or 40 issue series. And the reason why it would be 40 is because you're slotting in those one-offs with other past lives that you're putting into the production schedule. Like 
the plague doctor issue or things like that so that you know the artists can catch up and stay on schedule and all that kind of stuff um so yeah ideally there would have been more time but it, it didn't work out that way you know we we got where we wanted to get in the end uh we just didn't get there exactly how we could have, I guess, you know, and, and it went around, it went, it went back and forth. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember the exact numbers, but at one point they were going to end at 27. I think they were going to end it at 24 and then 27 and then 29. You know what I mean? So it, it kept like getting extended, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, we didn't really know how much space we had until I think, I don't think I knew that 29 was the last issue until I wrote 29, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they took. They told me before I started it, but they were like, "This is this is the last issue. We're not going to do thirty or whatever." And so it's like, okay, I'll, I can wrap it all up in this issue, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, ideally it would have been more, but ultimately we got where we wanted to get, so no complaints. Uh, I want to ask a question about issue twenty-eight. You have that last page where uh, you know Carter gets uh, you know knifed pretty badly. He gets stabbed a lot of this series, but particularly in that in that shot. Um, when you yeah. got when you got the original art back. Did, I mean, Fernando's artwork is fantastic, and that crazed look on Carter's face is priceless. Yeah, I mean, Fernando's great. You know, he's great with the emotions of the characters and the expressions. And again, he, he has such a muscular style, and Hawkman is such a muscular character, you know, shirtless and the hairy chest and all that kind of stuff, you know. So um, Fernando's great with the with the character acting and the facial expressions, and he can even land the humorous beats and things like that, which is kind of rare uh, for artists to be able to do like the action and the humor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a little intense. Uh, you know, I try not to be uh, overly violent in my comics, you know, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but he executed he executed the story well. You know, he, he built us up to that cliffhanger we needed to go into the final issue. For sure. And speaking of his uh, his ability at acting uh, for the characters on the page, uh, when you have that kind of last moment with half set, when he kind of realizes, you know, when he's like almost tearing up that everything maybe didn't matter or everything was nothing and that he's not going to kind of get the, the vengeance he wanted, um, it, he does a really good job of kind of really selling that moment. Um, yeah. Like yeah. His, his face is like half burnt off, you know, <laughs> and he's just like. I don't know. It's the, it's the worst kind of defeat for a guy like Hassett to find out that he never was really that important at all. <laughs> he he built himself up as being this great thing, you know, that was this arch nemesis of, of Hawkman, and it turns out he's completely pointless, you know. Uh, yes, Fernando captured that very well. Now, what was that like for you as a writer to kind of take a character like that and, again, kind of change what his importance to the overall mythos ended up being because you had this other thing that kind of was the reason why we had a Hawkman who was reincarnating throughout all these years. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the job. You know, you're taking the toys that are in the sandbox and you're picking you up and you're playing with them and you're doing new things with them. That doesn't mean somebody else can't come along, you know, and and, and do something different, you know. Uh, we even say sort of in that final, you know, uh, uh, I guess montage, if you want to call it, at the, in, at the end of 29, that has said returned again and again throughout history. So we never slammed the door. I don't hope, you know, that we didn't slam the door on anything and prevent anybody from ever doing anything because I don't want to disrespect anybody else's creation. Mm-hmm. We just did something different for with it for this issue and this story. If somebody else wants to come along and figure out their own way to do something else different with it, then that's great. 
Do you, uh, so we talked a little bit earlier about original art that you own from the series. Do you own any of Fernando's pages? I do. I think I own, I don't remember exactly how many. I've just moved recently, and so I'm sort of still putting my office space together and getting stuff up on the wall, but I want to say I own between four or six pages, and uh, I think they're all from that JSA issue. Oh, really? Oh, no, that's not true. I own... Uh, I think I own the very last page of the series with all the future superheroes and Hawkman oh, yeah. and Hawkwoman. Yeah, I think I own that one as well. Yeah. That's a nice one. Yeah. You don't own the uh, the last splash page of uh, Carter and uh, and Jair flying through the air? I do not. No, I do not. It's a gorgeous piece. It is, yeah. Amazing. Is that, I mean, it's interesting. So Brian never really got to do Hawkwoman. Is that a regret? Not a regret, but something you would have liked to have seen? Yeah, he and I were both disappointed that we couldn't have Hawkwoman from the very beginning of the series like we wanted, you know. Um, but we understood it. And uh, who knows, if Hawkwoman had joined the series in issue one, maybe the story would have been better, maybe the story would have been worse. You know, it's kind of one of those things that, I don't know, I don't really want to go back and try to mess with it too much because it really did work out kind of perfectly. <laughs> and so um, I don't begrudge any of it. But yeah, I, I think writing Hawkwoman was something that, that he definitely wanted to do and he did get to draw on some of the covers later in the series mm. um, but yeah he, I mean drawing Hoffman was something he definitely wanted to do yeah sure uh, what, so when when the book ended and again the, there's no kind of follow up series or JSA and again you guys kind of tie a nice bow on Hawkman's adventures would you ever want to return to the character or do you feel like you kind of put your stamp on it and that's it I don't know. I think I would come back for like mini series or something like that. I don't know. I don't, I don't really think about those kind of things. Like I, when they call me and they ask me about a book, that's when I'll come up with an idea for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So as of right now, it's like I'm not sitting here thinking about this is what I'm going to do with Hawkman if they ever call me again. If they ever call me about Hawkman again, then this is what I'll do with it. You know, I didn't know what I would do with Superman 78 until they called me and asked me to write Superman 78. I just don't invest the energy in those kinds of things because you never know if they're going to work out. You know, mm-hmm. I, I work on the things I'm working on now. And uh, once somebody approaches me about something else, I'll figure it out at that point. But I don't really uh, sit there and, and try to come up with ideas for you know, Marvel heroes or DC heroes or Valiant heroes or things that are, you know, somebody else's IP. If they want to come to me and ask me about that stuff, then I'll work on it and I'll be happy to do it and I'll be excited and I'll love being a part of the universe and figuring out all the puzzle pieces all over again. But um, if I'm developing something in my own time, it's going to be stuff like what I develop for Bad Idea or my own creator-owned things that I'm I'm working on on my own because that's something that I do sort of have an interest in that IP and and I, I do have a bigger say in determining what will or won't happen I could sit down and try to come up with you know the greatest Buona B story of all time but the odds of somebody ever calling me and asking me to write a Buona B series are probably zero so that's just wasted effort you know so uh, I do want to ask before we kind of let you go for the evening uh, what was it like getting the kind of the, the call about Superman 78 oh yeah for somebody like me who didn't grow up reading comics you know superman the movie and superman 2 were just highly impressionable moments on me <laughs> as a kid and uh it, it's not to say that it's a dream gig is actually erroneous because it's not something that i ever would even dream would happen because it's never been a super 78 com, superman 78 comic so i'm not even going to devote any time to thinking about that because that's not even real you know 
Uh, but when Andrew Marino reached out to me about doing that, I, I could not have been more excited. And Superman is a character that I've always wanted to write. He's my favorite superhero, has always been my favorite superhero. Um, I did write 11 stories, of, you know, standalone stories that were, you know, sort of a different feel that I, and a lot of them I did with Paul Pelletier, but I did them for the Superman Man of Tomorrow series. Mm-hmm. Um, that they did it just I think the collection of that comes out on Tuesday maybe or maybe it's next Tuesday I can't remember but the collection with all 11 of my stories and it's coming out um, I have it here it's just not out in stores yet but so I did do the, the I did do Superman for those stories but really this is a different version of Superman that's so unique to the films and so unique to that universe I don't know. I, I really am enjoying it. Like I, my hope would be that I just get to keep writing more Superman seventy eight stories. <laughs> I just kind of create my own thing and be off to the side and just have this whole other version of the Superman universe out there. But um, I guess that remains to be seen. Anybody who's been paying attention to the solicitations, if not, I apologize. Spoilers. You know, the first the first story is going to be Superman going up against the Superman seventy eight version of Brainiac. So working with Wilfredo Torres on that, he feels just as passionate about you know Superman the movie and Superman 2 as I do he loves those films it's something that he's always wanted to draw and you know the idea that we're getting to do this is just crazy you know and he and I it's a a great collaboration working with him as well very much like I have with Brian we're very conversational and uh, you know the moments that we're putting into the series and the energy that we're putting into it you can feel how how much we enjoy those films and how much we're using the unique aspects of those films, whether it's that version of Lex Luthor or that version of Lois Lane or that version of Superman, and really putting them into this story. So it's a Superman story, but it's very much a Superman 78 story. It's not a story that you would get if you were reading the mainline Superman or the mainline action comic story series. No. How do you treat kind of the, the world around him? Like, does it feel kind of like a, of a timeless nature, like not in terms of technology, et cetera, or do you kind of firmly plant it in 1978? Like how do, how does it feel? Yeah. We don't like harp on that all the time, but like there aren't people using cell phones and things, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, but we don't bring up, you know, that's 1978 all the time. It's right there in the title. So we don't really need to, know they're very much totally you know of those films this is gonna sound like a weird question because obviously like it's a movie that matters to you but did you go back and watch them again as kind of you know refresher of oh absolutely yeah yeah, again it was like hawkman like this is this is not an insurmountable amount of research you know i gotta watch four (laughs) superman movies and i even watched the supergirl movie because the plan was to make that all part of the same universe you know what I mean mm-hmm. and so I watched that one as well that's really it you gotta watch five films and then you're ready to get rolling you know um, so yeah I, I did I watched all of that stuff what was it like kind of getting into the, you know the classic voice because obviously the Chris, Chris Reeve really for a lot of people he's that gentle kind Superman that we don't really get to see in films a lot uh generally and so what was it like to be you know kind of imagining I I guess here's my question when you're writing words that are coming out of Superman's mouth are you listening to in your head and pretending it's Chris Reeve saying it or how do you kind of get into that headspace it's just it was the most comfortable thing I've ever had to fit myself into to be honest you know that version I think the reason why that version of Superman resonated with me so much when I was a kid is, is because whereas a lot of people you know, they don't like Superman, they like Batman, or Superman's a Boy Scout, or he's corny, or any of those things. I never saw him that way. Like, his view of the world 
and the way he acts is how I always wanted to be, even when I was a little, little kid. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think he resonated with me because I was like, here's just a super cool guy up on a movie screen that can fly and I can re really relate to him and how he thinks about the world, you know? And so for me to write the series was very comfortable because it was, I don't know, just kind of saying things I would say anyways, I guess, you know? Mm -hmm. There is something about that version of Superman, as I said, like he, I, I get what you say that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I like Batman more. He's, he's cooler. But especially as I've gotten older, I've definitely enjoyed that warmth that Superman has. And like a Superman done right is this guy who you feel like he's going to save you and you're going to trust him. And so if you can, if you can make that work, like, which is a hard, hard tightrope, obviously, but if you can make that work, that's really Superman. You know, he's got to be this person that everyone would trust because you just feel that he's good. Yeah, and why wouldn't he be, right? Like, he landed in a rocket ship in the middle of a Kansas field, and the first two human beings he met took him in and loved him as as their own, right? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't he have a view of humanity that we're better and that we're good and that we're decent and that we're worth saving, you know? Um, that's a very different approach to humanity than Batman would have, who's coming home from a movie and some guy kills his parents in an alley right mm -hmm. he would have a much darker view of humanity understandably so i've always tried to have a much a more hopeful thoughts about humanity because otherwise i don't know why i'd get out of bed in the morning if i didn't think that that people were decent and we're trying to be decent towards each other and they don't always succeed but the vast majority of us just trying to be good people mm -hmm. if i didn't believe that i don't know what would keep me going you know I think that's part of what actually makes your Hawkman run work so well is that it is very, as you said, it's about the DC universe is supposed to be more of an aspirational place, this wonderful place that you'd want to be in, whereas maybe the Marvel universe might feel more realistic, but you wouldn't necessarily want to be there. Whereas the DC universe has all these people protecting you and it feels brighter and happier. And when you end your run on Hawkman, it feels like, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this ocean of possibilities that everything and anything that you can imagine that Hawkman did before the 40th century, it happened. And it was great. And then at the, at the end of the days, he's just there with Shaira where he belongs. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think back. I don't know that I've ever had like a long run in a series that I've ended in a way that wasn't hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and maybe that's redundant of me, but it really is the way that I look at things. So uh, even when I'm being satirical and I'm poking fun at how much we can be a bunch of idiots as, as people, um, I'm st I still think, or at least hope, I'm doing it in a way that there's a hopefulness there that we can be better, you know, because I do believe that. I do believe we we can always be better, and I believe that most of us are always trying to be better and trying to be decent towards each other. And I think Superman is the perfect superhero to sort of champion that ideal. Mm -hmm. When you wrote your story for um, for Superman Red and Blue... I mean, again, it's that kind of hopefulness and that uh, all about the ideals. And what I like about what that series has done thus far is that in every issue, there's at least one story which seems to touch on, you know, those kind of greater themes about really what sets Superman apart. Like there's one issue which actually I really like. I can't remember which who actually wrote it, which is terrible. I, I feel bad for not remembering. There's a whole story about adoption, basically, about how these, these women are being kind of being mean to Ma Kent about you know, the fact that you know she couldn't have a child of her own but at least she was able to adopt and as an adopted parent myself I really liked the story because it was all about her saying well 
you know, being a parent is this, and I do that for my son, so it doesn't make any difference. And also, you can kind of shove it uh, at the very end. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which was, but again, I like your story as well. Being again about lessons and about you know the things that make Superman Superman about these more positive uh, character traits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I, I don't know how you divorce that from the character. Um, and again, that that's maybe what some of the people who don't like Superman think is hokey or makes him a Boy Scout or corny or any of those kinds of things. But to me, it's an integral part of the character, and I don't see how you write Superman without doing those sorts of things. For sure. All right, so I, I appreciate so much you taking so much of your time today to talk about Hawkman. Um, also, I mean, obviously you're working on Superman 78 coming out soon. What else are you working on that you can tell people about? I'm writing Tanker's A Bad Idea. Uh, it's a miniseries I've done over there. The third issue comes out first week in August, and that'll be the end of that series. And then I have some other projects in the works, both for Bad Idea and for DC and for some other publishers as well, but it's nothing that I'm able to talk about yet. So, what, I, Just as a macro question, having worked the last few years at DC, what's it like to kind of go back into doing something more, you know, a little bit, fresher not fresher the fresher is the wrong word but like different with some with bad idea oh i love it yeah like i say a balance of those two things i think is a great place to be where you're you're doing stuff that's you're building from the ground up and you have the freedom to do whatever you like but you're also doing other things that are set in established universe and that's a different kind of creativity i love the idea that i can do both those things and flex both those muscles so um i don't think one any one is better than the other i really enjoy doing them both uh, working with Bad Idea reunites me with a lot of the people that I got to be really good friends with at Warren like I mean at Valiant like Warren Simons and Dinesh Shamsani and Josh Johns and Adam Freeman and Harn Gordonson and you know it's like working with old friends again which is great um, so I'm having a lot of fun really enjoying myself over there just in terms of kind of your writing style would you prefer I mean would you prefer to kind of work on more uh, kind of miniseries style or do you like kind of uh, the idea of, a, of an open long run like you got with Hawkman which as you said 29 issues in this in this day and age is actually pretty long I like both you know I mean I wrote Exo Man of War I think 57 issues I did Hal Jordan the Green Lantern right. Corps 51 issues you it's know 51 issues of uh, Hal Jordan I, I didn't remember yeah, I, I knew it was a yeah. long time I didn't realize it was 51 issues that's well pretty... it was it was a a bi-monthly series so it took only two years oh that's true that's right <laughs> yeah but it was it was 51 <laughs> issues yeah um so i've done long runs and then i've done miniseries tankers is three issues surrogates is five issues you know so i've done both again i like a variety i like to do different things with each story that i do so i'm always uh, you know i don't want to fall into a run the same thing over and over and over you know for sure Robert, thank you so much for spending so much of your time today. I really appreciate it. And again, I, I really loved your, your work on Hawkman. I, I have to confess, I was never really a big Hawkman fan. I picked it up because obviously I like your work. And also, I, I um, who doesn't like Brian Hitch? And there's just something about, again, the alchemy of you two working together really made that book special. And w even though you had different artists as the book went on, it still felt like it was still exciting and, and fresh. And again, I lo love Pat Olf's work on the book. And also, Fernando just killed it at, at the uh, kind of the ending uh, last few issues. So again... Thank you so much for putting together that book. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words, and I appreciate you taking the time and having me on. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Yep.